Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome into a special GolfChannel.com podcast. I'm your host, Will Gray, and uh, as part of the GolfChannel.com team, we're doing a big project at the end of the year here in 2016. We're examining the individual players who got a chance to play with Tiger Woods as a professional, but only once. It is one time with Tiger, and it is an interesting group of professionals. It spans a couple different generations, and we are lucky enough to not only have one of those players on with us right now, but he is, in fact, a friendly face around here at Golf Channel. And it is Aaron Oberholzer. Aaron, how are you? Good, Will. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for, for coming on. So for the folks that didn't chart your entire professional career round by round, let's just go <laughs> over this. Uh, it was the 2008 WGC Accenture Match Play Championship in the round of 32. So we have several players who are included in this project. We're going to have articles on GolfChannel.com as well as videos and, and podcasts. And, and most of them played a stroke play around, but you kind of had a one time with Tiger on steroids because you played with him mono and mono in a match play setting. I did. Um, I, think it's, I think I might be the only guy that had one round with him that was a match play round. Uh, there might be another guy, but I'm not sure who that was. I think been. you're it. I, I think I might be it. And uh, it's very odd because I played with him four or five times in college. We overlapped when he was at Stanford. I was at San Jose State. Um, but as a professional, oddly enough, um, um, even when I got to be a, a perennial top 50 player in the, in the world, I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't play with him. We were never grouped together. We were never paired together um, uh, at, at any event, majors, WGCs, anything like that. So uh, to meet him in the match play was very odd. And, and you never know how the brackets are going to fall to a certain extent uh, and where you're going to be. So to, to meet him, to win my first match uh, against Mike Weir and then meet him in the round of 32, I, I thought that that was, uh, it was, it was just uh, a, a pure happenstance, and it was, uh, it was an interesting day. Now, we're, as I said, we're talking to different people who played with Tiger at different points in his professional career spans more than 20 years at this point so there are different phases of tiger but you in 2008 pretty much drew peak tiger this is the year that he of course won the u.s open at tory pines on one leg basically and, mm -hmm. uh, and so he was he was very much in the top of form i know that a lot of amateurs can think about if you've got a, a signature hole on a course you try not to think about it too far in advance you got to play the holes in front of you but when you saw that bracket open up and you saw that, all right, if I beat Mike Weir, I'm going to be playing Tiger Woods. What sort of thoughts went through your mind, and how tough was it to keep that out of your mind while you were playing Mike Weir? Well, the weird thing was is that when I, going into that event, that was, I believe that was my first event that I played in 2008 because I was coming off of my first hand surgery in 2007 uh, at the end of the year. I think I had the hand surgery October 30th in 07. 
And so I, uh, I took a fairly, I took a, what I thought was long enough layoff um, and came back. Uh, I figured, okay, match play would be a good place to start. Down in Arizona, very close to the house, I, uh, just an hour and a half drive down to Tucson. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was going to get one practice round in and, and one match in. And I just figured, you know, no rough to speak of, you know, two, two and a half inches at the gallery when we played it at the gallery before we, they moved it over to Dove Mountain. And I figured it was a, it was a pretty kind of a, 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 a good start to the season. Obviously, world ranking points, uh, you know, kind of a free money tournament, just a good way to get the season started and test out where the hand was under some, situ- under some pretty likable conditions. Uh, from a golf course perspective, for, for my hand, I, I wasn't going to have to battle any high rough or real super firm conditions. And uh, so I went in with no expectations, uh, zero expectations. My standards weren't super high either. I was still trying to find my game. And I just so happened to come onto a hot putter and, and a decent ball striking round, and I was able to beat Mike Weir in the first round. And then knowing that, the way the brackets uh, rolled out, I said, well, I got Tiger. Uh, and Tiger is, Gulp, you know, right? top top of his game yeah he's at the top of his game so I I knew that I knew going into it that I was going to have to play my best golf but again I had no expectations and no one expected me to to win the match I'm not so sure I expected myself to win the match to be very honest with you I just basically went out there and I said I'm going to play the best golf that I possibly can under these circumstances um, knowing that I haven't played a lot of golf uh, at least competitively so I didn't have a lot of rounds under me and I, I knew that he had his A stuff um, so I knew it was going to take a Herculean effort. And uh, as the day wore on, I kind of hung with him, and I missed a lot of putts. I burned the edges on a few holes, first few holes, and he was one or two up on me early, um, but I was hanging with him. And I, you know what's funny, though? I, I got the feeling as the day wore on that I don't know if he was – if he, I, I swear he was toying with me to a certain extent. <laughs> Because I think if he wanted to put the hammer down, he could have put the hammer down. But he, he, he didn't drive it all that well. He was in the desert a few times. And I remember this one hole in particular, this par five, I believe it was on the front nine. It was a second par five, I believe, on the front nine. I don't remember the golf course all that well. But I do remember this. He flares a drive way off right into the desert. And I, didn't, I, I, think, I thought, you know, with the galleries that he has, the ball was definitely going to get found. It was just a matter of, is he going to be able to get a club on it? And, it, and if he can get a club on it, does he have a swing? Um, it found, it, they found the ball. He was able to get a club on it, and he was able to get a swing. But he was <clears throat> stuck behind these trees. And I can't remember if he sliced it or hooked it, but got it back into the fairway somehow from way off into the desert. Got it actually over uh, – didn't cut it enough or overhooked it into the left rough. And this pin was located on this back left shelf that couldn't have been more than five by five. Uh, and you had to be very precise. And over the back was dead. I mean, it was a steep drop, and the, and the pitch shot was really, really difficult. And at this point, I had laid up into a good area. I had probably about 100 yards left or so to the whole location, to the, to the pin. And um, he, he hooks it over to the left rough. He's got like a buck 35, buck 30 left. And I can hear him and Steve just faintly kind of talking about what they're going to do with this shot. And Tiger's like, ah, oh, you know, the lie's, the lie's okay. But it was kind of sitting down. I went over there and looked at it. It was kind of sitting down. It's the type of lie where you weren't going to get a lot of spin on it, or so I thought. 
And the kind of, if you're not careful, you can catch a jumper and it's going long. So I'm thinking, ah, the best he's going to do is just maybe put it just short of the tier and be putting up that tier. And I'm going to have a good chance if I can hit a good wedge in there for a birdie to get a hole back. And he, and I go, uh, he goes and he's fiddling in between a wedge and a nine iron, wedge and a nine iron. He grabs the nine iron. And I don't remember there being a lot of wind. It's early in the morning. And he grabs this nine iron and chokes down about an inch on it and just barely swings at it, takes this little kind of almost a half shot. And he hits this gorgeous little flighted nine iron floater out of the rough. And I'm telling you what, that is a really hard shot to hit no matter what condition your game's in. Um, But he hits this like almost like he put just the right amount of spin on it. And this thing comes down so soft to about six inches. It landed like a yard on the tier, took one hop, and kind of spun and stopped and then rolled out to six or seven inches behind the hole. And I looked at my caddy and I went, under no circumstances do I think that I could have played that shot with that much control. And I remember then I hit my wedge, and I'm trying to be over-aggressive. I one-hopped it over the back, and I ended up losing the hole. Yeah, it's it, it of, seems like everyone, from, from talking to, to players and researching these projects, it seems like everyone has at least one of those shots when they had their round with Tiger where you look to your left and you say, how in the world did he make the golf ball do that? Oh, yeah. There, uh, well, there's, there was no doubt. And he did it a couple times that day, but that's the one shot that really stands out to me because it, with what he had to work with, the lie that he had, even though there was hardly any rough, the way the ball was sitting – he, he really he really couldn't – if it was sitting up higher on the grass, I could see anybody playing that shot, actually, because you can just pick it right off the top, produce a little spin, and no problem. But, but to have the wherewithal and the trust to hit a 9-iron from a buck 30, buck 35, when he can hit a 9-iron a buck 55 if he wants to, and to just kind of fillet one in there from 130, 35 yards and bring it in low. I mean, he didn't hit it high. He brought it in low, landed it on the, on the top, and floated it in out of a lie that was that most guys probably would have caught a jumper out of um, was just a level of genius that a lot of people have never achieved. So as you said, you and you and Tiger were familiar going back to your college days. He was at Stanford, and you were at San Jose State. So it wasn't like you're a stranger walking in off the street to that first tee box. But I think that the, one of the big questions that a lot of people wonder in these situations where guys have one professional round with Tiger Woods is the small talk. How much did you guys talk throughout the round, and do you feel like the match play situation changed that one way or another? Was Tiger more or less talkative with you because you guys were actually playing a match? Um, you know, we, we actually talked quite a bit that day from what I remember, um, and I wasn't expecting him to talk a lot, but, but we talked about his dad. We talked about college golf. Um, we... Uh, uh, we, we really kind of reminisced a lot about playing against each other in college, um, talked about his family, his, his kids. I, I can't remember if he had – I think he just had Sam at that point. I don't think Charlie had been born yet. Okay. Um, but, about what it was like to be a father, how much fun he was having, because I hadn't had my first child yet. Um, so uh, that was nice. It was nice to have a conversation with him. It was nice to talk with him. Um, it was uh, it, w- it was a very pleasant round of golf. Uh, I, I started. I, I think I got a hole from him on the back nine. It brought the match a little closer, so he started to get a little more serious. 
uh, at that point, and the talking kind of subsided a little bit. Um, and then towards the end of the match, uh, he knew he needed to. He knew he needed to do something. And I, and I remember that from college because he would be he would be very talkative on the golf course. I wouldn't say very, but he'd be fairly talkative on the golf course in college too, until it came down to crunch time. And once it came, and, and he, and obviously the man had a sense for the moment. So he knew when to, to say, okay, and just put this shroud over him and change, turn into someone else when he needed to. And that was part of the genius of the guy um, was he was able to do that at, in college. All of a sudden we'd be talking and having a good time, smiling, laughing, joking around. And then when he knew it, had, it and we both had, a, you know, we both had a sense for when it was getting tight and as, as professionals or high level amateurs, you know, when, when there's when the match is close and it's down to crunch time, those last four or five holes, or in stroke play, last four or five holes of the final round, and you've got to get something done. Um, you know, he had a sense of that, and, and, and it, he'd turn into a different guy. But w- we all knew that. And even as a player, even as a, even as a guy who, who was not as talented as he was, we all want to do that. You know, we all want to kind of get into our own little world when we have to try to, to do our best to win. Um, and, uh, and he did that. He did that in our match, for sure, coming down the stretch. He felt that I was starting to play a little better, starting to get a little momentum potentially on the back nine. And on, six, on about 14, 15, 16, he really kind of shut it down. We really didn't do a whole lot of talking other than to say, yeah, you go ahead or you're away or I'm away. And other than that, um, uh, when he, where he closed me out, I hit a, I hit, was on the par three. I, I, think it was, I think it was either 16 or 17. I can't remember the holes out there. And uh, uh, I, hit a, I hit just short, just on the front edge of the green, and I had about a 15-footer, I want to say. He actually spun it off the green down the slope and left himself a really difficult pitch shot and pitched up there about six feet, but it was a six- or seven-footer that was downhill right-to-left curler. I mean, not an easy putt at all. And I putted it up there about a foot. He gave it to me. And this was for the match. Otherwise... Uh, you know, we're, we go on to 17. I think it was, I think it was 16. Yeah. We go on to 17. And uh, he, I mean, he didn't even take long to read it. Gets right up there to this downhill right to left curler and knocked it in like he was playing a Saturday Nassau with his <laughs> buddies. It was, it was, that was the second part I remembered. I just laughed. I went, I went, yeah, I knew you were going to make that. And shook hands and we smiled and I said, good luck the rest of the way. And he ended up beating everybody else in house and Stewart think in the final in the, in the final match yeah I think housing is a is a generous term for what he did to Stuart sink during that finals but it's, yeah. a, it's amazing to me to think you're basically describing the Shaq and Kobe Lakers of the early 2000s where where they could just you know sleepwalk through the first three quarters and then you saw them flip a switch and they're going to beat whoever they're playing by 10 or 12 points and it's it's a situation that it almost feels like you knew going in that that Tiger had that extra level because you had seen it so often and in so many different tournaments that that is it that much more difficult to feel like you're you're playing a guy that you know that you've seen and you've grown up against through college and and junior golf but at the same time there's this aura that is well deserved surrounding this guy because he just does things that the rest of you guys even elite PGA Tour professionals aren't able to do well uh, quite honestly well uh it's a great question but quite honestly uh the blooms off the rose as soon as you see a guy pump a keg at a frat, at a frat party. <laughs> all right. It, I mean, it, it really is. This is so what we're, yeah, that's what I'm talking stuff, about. I, I think I, I've seen Tiger in, in a different light in his younger years, much like, no, I mean, Nota saw more of it, obviously. Right. But I saw a little bit of it being so close to him when I was at San Jose State. We, 
And every, every once in a blue moon, we'd go up and we'd hang out with the Stanford teams, the, the women's team and the men's team, and both, both teams would get together, um, and, and uh, whether it be at a party or a get-together. And, they, and Stanford was really cool to us, and, they, and we'd get invited to a, a, a few things, and we'd come up. And, uh, and, and Tiger was very social and very fun to be around in those settings. Um, there's no doubt. Uh, and once you see that side of him, it's disarming. And so I was lucky enough to see that side of him before he turned pro and turned every other professional into mush. So when, when, I, when I got out there, you know, it, it, is he intimidating? To an extent, yes. But when you think back as, as, from a collegiate standpoint, you remember the, this skinny kid carrying his bag down the fairway, and you knew he was great, and you knew he could hit the shots, but you knew kind of what a jokester he was, and you knew – you know, that he had this other side to him that was fun-loving and, and, and fun to be around. Um, it, it, that made it much, for me, that made it that match much easier to play him and much easier to say, okay, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to give you my best stuff. Let's go out there and have fun. And, and if you house me, you house me. But if you don't, let's have a good match. And we did end up having a pretty good match. And, I, and I, I, if I would have made a few more putts, shockingly, if, if I should have, could have, would have. <laughs> Uh, I, I would have made maybe a little bit more a, more of a match out of it, but uh, um, you know, for my first tournament back that uh, that year, uh, to get him to take him to 16, I was I was pretty happy about that. But it almost like it almost had a sense, it almost had a sense that whole match like like he like almost like he was working on other things, you know, trying you know let's try this. <laughs> That's got to be demoralizing, right? Oh, totally, totally demoralizing. When you know the guys just sitting out there, you're grinding, trying to find your game because you haven't played in months. You're coming off of off of a surgery and an injury, and then this guy comes out there. Yeah, let's try this shot. Let's try to fillet this five iron from 175, 180, and just let's just totally toy with this guy all day. That's what you kind of. That's what I, I kind of felt like a like a lab rat out there um, <laughs> with with Tiger to a certain extent because because like I said, I think he only went to the went to the serious game those last three or four holes we played because he knew he had to. Um, but other than that, I think I swear I, he was just he was just toying with me all the way up into that point. So if you if you only get one round professionally with Tiger, which you did, do you appreciate more the fact that it was in a match play environment versus just, you know, the third round of the AT&T National at some point? Is yeah. there is there extra from from being able to, to step into the arena with the gladiator, basically? Absolutely. You want, I mean, the, I, I think that as a player and as a competitor and as a guy who, uh, who, who understood his match play record uh, because uh, we're, we're, we're obviously very close in age, so we played at the same time in college, and you understand what he did as, in match play and you knew how dominant he was in it, as an amateur in match play, to get him in match play, that's the ultimate. Yeah. Um, so for me to be able to get him in match play and have that one-on-one -on -one with him was fantastic. Uh, I wish my game was a little more up to, up to speed at that point. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't, but to get the chance was really cool. Um, you know, obviously, you want to win, but realistically, with where I was at with my game, I knew my chances were pretty slim considering how well he was playing. Even on, as we know now, he was, he was, playing, on a real, he was playing on a bad knee then. Right, he's basically um, on borrowed time. Yeah, he was on borrowed time, so with his knee. So, uh, but to, to, to get that, to get that opportunity in match play is something special with a guy like him knowing how good he was at match play. 
So spinning it forward, like you said, that was your first start back in 2008 off of a, a surgery. What sort of lessons were you able to take from that, or, or what did you learn, basically, from having that round with Tiger? Just how patient he was. He never, ever looked flustered. He never, ever looked, even when he was spraying it into the desert, which he did a couple times. You know, he'd do the, the, the Tiger, oh, yeah, well, you know, and, and the one-arm deal, like right. we all do as professionals at times. Um uh, you know, but after that, it was it was 30 seconds of, oh, Tiger, you're a dummy, and or maybe even something a little more X-rated <laughs> or R-rated, and and then it was it was uh, after that it was it was, you know, the, the the facade came back on. He he got he got himself, and he was just real patient and calm, and just had you know the look that we always see on Tiger, which is nothing's bothering me, nothing's going to bother me, and I'm going to keep my poker face all day. And I'm going to let you stress because I'm not going to show you that I have any stress. And that's what I learned. I learned that don't the, the one thing he's taught me as a player since we were both in college was to never show your hand. And, and, and his teammate, who I also respect and have respected since college, Noda, was also fantastic at that. He never showed his hand. Tiger never showed his hand. Um, and that, that's the one thing that I've learned from Tiger from a game perspective that, that I think we can all learn from as professionals is that, is that under any circumstances, do your best. You've got to stay true to who you are. But Tiger's kind of an emotional guy, there's no doubt. But he, he, knew, he knew how not to show his hand, even though and calm his emotions when he needed to the most. And that's the one thing I admire him from a player standpoint is that's hard to do, and he, he's a master at that. All right, one more before I let you go. You had a decorated uh, career as a professional. You won on the PGA Tour. But I need to ask, where does that round rank for you? It's, it's the middle of a, a tournament in 2008. But when you look back on your career as a PGA Tour pro, where do you stack my one time with Tiger versus all of the other highlights of your career? Oh, it, it, uh, quite honestly, and no offense to Tiger, it's low. It's real low. It's just right. another, it was just another round of golf for me, to be quite honest. Um, you know, I, I look at every, I looked at every golf round of golf will as a stepping stone, mm -hmm. as a way to get better for the next round, for the next round. I was always, every round was, a, was a stepping stone for the next round. And, um, and it was, every round was a learning opportunity for me. So I never looked at one round, even the final round of a major or the final round when I was leading a golf tournament, it was all, it was all a learning experience no matter what the result. And so for me, it was just another learning opportunity um, I, I, that I can't really, that I, that, that I can't, that I can't put anywhere near my, I guess my top five rounds that I've played on tour. All right. It's just, you know, it was, it was just kind of a, it, it, maybe if it would have happened in the finals, if I would have made it to the finals, he and I would have met it in the finals, it would have been very high on my list. But, uh, um, but no, it's 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 fairly low on the list. To be very honest with you. Bonus question: Who did the longer keg stand between the two of you? <laughs> there were no keg stands, uh, allegedly. <laughs> no, um, of course not. And <laughs> and, uh, and I think I could take him. There you go. That's the spirit. <laughs> you may have I lost. May have lost three and two at the gallery, but there are other ways to to beat the guy. Well, Aaron Oberholzer, thank you so much for joining us here on this GolfChannel.com special podcast. We're going to have a lot more content both on podcast form and on GolfChannel.com. 
talking to other guys who had one time with Tiger, one round as a professional next to Tiger Woods. It's going to be coming out all throughout the month of December. So thank you very much, Aaron. Look forward to seeing you when you're next back at uh, Golf Channel headquarters, and good talking to you. Thanks, Will. You too, man. So now that we've had a chance to talk to Aaron Oberholzer, we're going to now turn our attention to another member of the Golf Channel family, and that is Brandel Chambly, who is nice enough to join us now on the phone. Brandel, how are you? I'm great, thanks, Will. Uh, nice to talk to you guys, and uh, it's always fun to talk about Tiger. There you go. It's always always good to talk about Tiger. That is true. Certainly keeps the lights on around here. But we got to say, there's there's a little. We got to reveal our cards here. We had planned to include you as one of the players in this one time with Tiger project. We we went to our research department and, and pulled it up and saw that you had played with him at the uh, Disney PJ Tour tournament in 1998, and then we went back and double checked and saw that you also played with him that year at the International, which was a Stableford event. So sadly, we're not going to be able to include you because you had two trips around the course with Tiger back in 98, one stroke play and uh, one in Stableford. Yeah, I can sympathize with you guys. When I'm doing research, you hit that uh, that button that says uh, paired with. Yes. And a lot of the times it's incomplete. But the interesting thing about Tiger is uh, when you go back, to some of his earlier years, they had just started keeping statistics. In a lot of instances, they would only list the people that got paired with Tiger. Uh, they wouldn't They wouldn't tell you who you played with unless you were paired with Tiger. So uh, it seems like uh, even the statistical part uh, department thinks it's important when you get paired with Tiger, uh, not just the players, uh, or thinks it's memorable, I should say. And, uh, and they're right in that regard. It is a memorable experience. For sure. There certainly is. And, uh, you know, we talked to, like I said, we talked to Aaron Oberholzer. He played with Tiger in 2008, also played with him back in college. And you kind of had a different segment of, if we look at the, the Tiger Woods career arc, you're there in 1998. He had won the Masters the year before. But as we discussed before, before we came on the air here, this was in the midst of his quote unquote slump that he didn't really kick it into gear until the 99 PGA the year after. So, so walk me through what it was like to play alongside Woods, admittedly twice, but during that brief period of his career when he was kind of a little off the rails. Well, I knew, again, you know, the first time I played with him was at the International, and it was a stable for system. So you got, uh, if my memory serves me correct, one, one point for a birdie and three for an eagle. The very first hole I played with him was the par five uh, at Castle Pines, and he had a driver and a four iron a foot away and made eagle. Um, and I, you know, I hit a as good a drive as I could hit, and I drew a three wood around the corner onto the front of the green, but it was seventy feet away from uh, from the hole. So you know, he hit two swings of the club. Um, there was a very clear difference between what he was capable of and what I was capable of. Um, Steve Elkington was also in the group. And, uh, you know, Steve had a, a brilliant golf swing, but uh, but Tiger made both of us look like like boys. Um, Tiger eagled the first hole. Um, so my, my memory's a bit furry or fuzzy in there because he, uh, he made a few other birdies. Then we got to the sixth hole, the short up the hill par four, and I hit it 10 feet. Tiger hit it about 12. And he made that 12-footer, and he air-punched, and he danced around the green as I was I was uh, sort of squatting, lining my putt up. And Tiger was, you know, there was tons of people around us, obviously. 
and they went nuts when he made the putt because, you know, it was, I think he made an eagle, and maybe that was his third birdie of the day. So he was accumulating points and moving well up the leaderboard, and the crowd went nuts. He went nuts. And I can remember uh, as I was lining my putt up and watching him run around the green thinking I'd never been that excited on a golf course in my life. Uh, and uh, the next hole was a par three, and the pin was back right, and he made a hole in one. So in seven holes, I had seen, you know, things I had never seen before uh, and have not seen since except when he was doing it. Uh, There was a par five on the back that I had played, you know, I I got on tour in 1988. So by then I had played, you know, a decade playing this golf course. And I knew the line you took, you know, it was right center with a draw and you hoped you didn't push it right. Uh, and you didn't dare go left because there were trees and thick rough. And he just took it 30 yards left of where I would barely look. And I, you know, the second he hit it, I thought, well, that's, that's dead. And then we got down there and he had flown the corner, uh, and was just right in front of this Creek that, uh, that cut across the fairway and had an iron into this par five. So I was, I was mesmerized from start to finish. Uh, I can remember as we were waiting to play the par three third or fourth hole that day. Uh, and again, Tiger had started Eagle birdie. And as we were waiting, uh, Steve Elkington um, said to Tiger, so you're in a slump, huh? And Tiger just sort of made a sound like, huh? And, and Elkington goes, well, I'll swap you right now. Uh, and Tiger laughed and, you know, I laughed. I thought it was I thought it was pretty funny because, you know, there was no evidence in his ball striking that he was in a slump. Um, but I had read, just like the rest of the world, that he was in the process then of changing his golf swing, which um, is amazing given the fact that he had won the Masters by 12 the year before. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was, as I said, it, it was a, a very interesting part of the career arc of Tiger Woods. It's not one that we often think about because he's so quickly after that went on that run of, of seven majors in 11. But I, I want to go back and, and focus more on, on the stuff that you were talking about, like on the tee with Elkington. But peel back the curtain for us. What is it like to be there playing alongside Woods, not only seeing the shots, but, but the downtime? What's, what was the chatter like? I mean, certainly he was a young guy, a star, admittedly, but on the rise. What was the was there discussion between the three of you with Steve Elkington, certainly a, a major champion at the time, or or was Tiger more kind of off on his own, doing his own thing? No, I, you know, Tiger wasn't. Uh, there were certainly players on tour who were um, more loath to talk than Tiger. Uh, Tiger was not uh, unfriendly at all. Uh, you know, he was very much about his business, but he was also uh, appropriate and nice and respectful. He had a good shot. He said, good shot. And it wasn't like he appeared to be only interested in his business. Um, you know, Nick Faldo famously wouldn't say anything to you uh, until the end of the day uh, when he might say, you know, enjoy the round. And, and, you know, I mean, that's just the way Nick was. It worked very well for Nick. He won six majors. Um, there are lots of players like that, uh, you know, who, who, uh, who wouldn't talk uh, while they were playing golf. But Tiger, Tiger wasn't like that. I think, uh, you know, if you ask the majority of people, at least uh, 
from you know when he first got on tour until well really i you know when i left the tour in 2004 2005 uh you know there were still you know, a lot of talk about, you know, what kind of guy is Tiger, you know, when I was out there, you know, what, what was it like when you played with him? And everybody seemed to have a very enjoyable experience that Tiger was uh, respectful and consistent and, you know, and he didn't try to big time you, uh, wouldn't putt out, um, uh, you know, even if he had a tap in, um, he was considerate and nice. It's not like that I spent a lot of time talking to him. I was concerned about my game as well. Right. But, uh, but I definitely – you know, wasn't going to be one of those people who wasn't going to watch. I, uh, I watched everything he was doing every time I could, because I knew I was witnessing one of the, you know, the birth of one of the greatest careers in the history of golf. And as it turned out, the greatest player who ever played by, in my opinion, quite a wide margin. Did you feel, did you really feel like it at the time? I mean, we're talking 1998. He admittedly has, has a major under his belt, but but even at that point, did you see, as you're playing with him, both at the International and then a couple months later at Disney, was the wow factor there to say, man, this kid really is different? Yeah. Well, I had played – I remember I got paired with Greg Norman um, somewhere in the mid-'90s. And when I, back then you called to get your tea time, and the lady, before she even gave me my tea time, you know, shrieked and went, you know, congratulations. <laughs> she still hadn't told me what she was congratulating me for. And I said, what? And she said, well, you're paired with Greg Norman, you know. Uh, and I was like, okay. <laughs> Thank what time? You. What time? I didn't uh, know what time I'm playing, right? Right, exactly what time. Uh, it was actually 19, it was Kemper Saturday, 1991, when I got paired with him, or two. And uh, so he was... You know, he was the number one player in the world or right there. And, yeah, I mean, what what amazed me that day about Norman was his pitching. I thought his pitching was was extraordinary. Uh, but his golf shots, you know, they were, they were okay. I mean, they were long and straight, and they were what you would expect from a number one player in the world. Um, but I didn't think they were otherworldly. I just thought they were good. I got paired with Nick Price, and uh, again, um, I thought Nick Price was a fabulous player and a very nice guy, but his shots weren't otherworldly. They were solid and pretty, and you know the the you know one piled up upon another. So at the end of the day, you're like, wow, he didn't miss a shot. But with Tiger, um, they were a sound and a trajectory and a flight that. Uh, you just couldn't imagine. You know, when you watch John Daly hit golf balls, they they had a velocity to them that was alien. But every other shot was a snap hook or a miss to the right. So while you could appreciate the speed he could hit a golf ball, you knew he was extremely fallible. Uh, but with Tiger, uh, you know, they had they had everything. They had the velocity. They had the consistency of trajectory. And they had uh, a shape to them that was appropriate to the shot. So, you know, he was very much a man in control. And that control allowed him to think uh, hard about his shots. And you could, you could see the wheels turning. So you, you were definitely aware. I was definitely aware that I was watching um, what would be one of the greatest careers in the history of the game. Um, 
you know, a Hall of Fame player um, is is worth your attention for sure. No question about it. You get paired with Marco Mirror or Lanny Watkins or Fred Couples or Ernie Els, and you're you know you're in in uh, in the group of a special player. But with Tiger, it was exponentially different. Um, you know, you you would watch the other players that I spoke of and go, you know, this is good stuff. But with Tiger, you would think this is stuff only two or three other people in the history of the game, in the history of the game, had ever approached. And I would only put, uh, you know, Jack and, and Hogan really in that league. That's a fair comparison, I would say, but uh, it certainly speaks to to the potential that was there in 1998 and certainly the product that we saw in the years after that. Now, in between these two times that you played with Woods at the International and at Disney, you had a nice little milestone of your own winning on the PGA Tour. So my question is, how was it different when you played with him a few months later at Disney as a PGA Tour winner? Was the interaction any different? Was the round uh, or, you know, just the overall experience different than when you first played with him alongside Elkington up at Castle Pines? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I, I, I knew, uh, you know, I got paired with him on Saturday, which at that point at International was the only time I was going to get paired with him because I obviously was not in the winner's category. But once I won, um, you know, I was more apt to get paired with him. But as it turned out, I only got paired with him once. Um, I don't remember... Maybe there was probably a, a sense of, of, you know, a little bit more calmness having won, and it was the end of the year. Um, but I don't really remember that. I, you know, I, I remember, you know, again, feeling privileged to have gotten paired with Tiger. I don't remember as many shots that he hit at Disney. Uh, I just remember really just one shot that day. I remember... Uh, the tenth hole. I mean, I was in 1988. I finished tenth in total driving, so I drove the ball pretty long and pretty straight. I was one of the best drivers on tour, uh, and I remember um, ripping one down the left side of the tenth hole, the par five there at uh, the Magnolia Course at Disney. And I mean, I just obliterated it down the left side, and cut the corner or, you know, what corner there was to cut there and hit the hard part of the fairway. And it, you know, it was, I don't know, 20 yards past anything I'd ever driven it there in 10 years. And he looked like he kind of hit one down the right side and I didn't really pay attention to it. But when we got down there, he was 20 yards past me <laughs> and that was the absolute best I could have hit one. Um, and he was 20 yards past me and I was trying to hit, some sort of cut three wood up on the green. And again, he had a four iron or five iron in his hand. And, you know, I just, uh, you know, I, I've hit that shot, you know, I mean, uh, before and, and I could have kept it up with pretty much anybody, my very best that hit a hard spot. I mean, and he was 20 yards past me with them, you know, it looked to be like a mid iron in his hand. So, uh, again, I just, I, uh, you know, I, I fully appreciated um, the experience. Um, but really, you know, beyond that, um, beyond the two times playing with him, probably the um, the most mesmerized I ever was, because when you're playing with him, you're also trying to shoot a score. 
um, and you're thinking about your own game. But really, the, the probably the the Tiger moment that stood out the most with me, besides he and I and being the only two people in a subway shop in uh, 1996 in Moline, Illinois, uh, Illinois. <laughs> besides that, um, I was practicing. Uh, on the Tuesday of the 2000 U.S. Open on the driving range with a very um, keen student of the game. My best friend was standing beside me on the range, and Tiger started hitting balls right behind me. So he was, you know, four feet away from me, hitting golf ball after golf ball. And my buddy told me to stop practicing or I was going to miss the greatest show in the history of the game. And I this was Tuesday again, so right. I turned around and, uh, I watched. Now, this was not him changing his golf swing. This was him when he had put it all together. This is the peak. And it was, it was, you know, it was Sandy, Sandy Koufax had said when he found his game, when he found that missing piece of the puzzle, throwing a baseball, it was when he, the thought occurred to him, he wanted to see how easy he could throw the ball hard. That's those were Sandy Koufax's words. And I had read that early in my career. Um, and I was thinking about it as I was watching Tiger Woods hit those balls that Tuesday because that's what it looked like. It looked easy. It looked slow. It looked like it was in slow motion except for the bit at the ball, which looked like an explosion. Uh, it was really wide. Uh, it was smooth and wide and graceful. Uh, and it was smooth and wide and graceful in transition. And then it was just this, you know, balletic explosion at impact. And every single ball took off. Um, I, I remember he was making divots with, you know, a five iron and a four iron, but these, these divots were thin, um, square divots, but they didn't start until about an inch or two inches after the ball. I'd never seen anybody really do that. You know, most people, when they took a divot, the divot started right right after they made contact with the ball. And his divots were, were, were much further in front of the ball, but they were shallow. So I knew he was coming in on a very shallow angle, but with enough forward pressure and enough extension and keeping the club square through impact, that it was square for a great period of time. I'd never seen anybody do that. And, and the balls were flying out, um, you know, just cleaving the air and reaching the same spot. And then where I'd think they'd fall, they'd hang. And I watched him for 30 minutes. I just quit hitting golf balls and watched him. <laughs> and his, his coach, Butch, obviously at the time, was really good friends with my friend. They're, they were buds. They had played the tour at the same time together. And Butch wasn't saying anything to Tiger. He was telling him jokes, and they were giggling laughing. But, you know, there was a point there where Tiger hit five, six, seven, eight balls and didn't say anything, but Butch looked over at us. And he had the same look on his face that we did, um, like he'd seen a ghost. Like, you know, it was too good to be true. And uh, that was Tuesday, you know. And it was six days later he beat the field – the next best players by 15. Yeah, it turned so, out to be a pretty good week. As, as turned out to be a pretty good week. There's also a friend of mine that was following me around that week. You know, Tiger motivated everybody. Um, there was a friend of mine following me around. He brought his eight-year-old eight son 
uh, to watch me play that week at Pebble Beach. And I made the cut, and, you know, Sunday night we were having dinner, and I sat next to that 8-year-old son, uh, his 8-year-old son. Um, I said, what would you think? You know, did you enjoy the week? Because every day after I'd finished, he'd run back and watch Tiger. And he said, uh, wow. He goes, you know, I've never, I've never seen anything like it. It was the best week of my life. He goes, you know, he turned to his father, Jeff, who was an ophthalmologist in Houston, uh, Jeff Whitsett. And uh, he said, I'm going to. I want to play golf, Dad. You know, this is it. I really want to play golf. Um, well, that kid, uh, eight years later, won the USGA Junior at a younger age than Tiger. Um, he said he broke Tiger's record. His name's Corey Whitsett. He ended up being the number one junior in the world, the number one college player in the world, and the number one amateur player in the world, all at different times. But, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, Tiger inspired. Now, that, that kid's 25, and he's... You know, he hasn't yet to make his way to the tour, but that kid is six foot two, looks like a, you know, a, a major league baseball pitcher. He inspired a, a generation of athletes that would have gone somewhere else to take up golf. Yep. So, you know, you just can't overstate Tiger's impact on the game. Uh, one more before I let you go. I need to know what you ordered at the subway in Moline, Illinois, in 1996. Well, I'm sure it would have been a six-inch wheat BMT. I'm sure that's that was your that's go-to. What it would have been that was the that was the standard order. Uh, but that was the week that Tiger Woods first really again he did things that week I had never seen. Lost the playoff right to uh, Ed Fiore. He lost a, he lost a playoff to Ed Fiore. When you think about it, the two of them are like the movie twins. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Ed playing the Danny DeVito role. And Tiger, the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, one had everything, and the other one seemingly didn't have anything. But Ed was proof that uh, that, that roly-poly body and tenacity could uh, could still measure up to uh, to some of the best in the game. I loved Ed. Um, but that week, Tiger hit chip after chip with his hybrid off the green. I had never seen anybody do that. I'd seen people chip with three irons and five irons. But I've never seen anybody chip with a hybrid, and it is commonplace now, absolutely commonplace. People will act like that shot's been around forever. It hasn't. I never saw anybody hit it until Tiger at Moline in 1996. So similar to the way Gene Sarazen changed the game with his sandwich back in the early 30s at the Open Championship, Tiger showed everybody how to hit this hybrid pitch around the greens. Um, And now then, you know, look. Todd Hamilton took it to victory at the Open Championship in 2004, yep. but um, it's used every single day on the PGA Tour. But I, I had never seen it until 1996 when Tiger brought it out of Moline. So, you, you know, he's, uh, he's, been, uh, he's been absolutely unbelievable for the game of golf and for sport. So you're in with the six-inch wheat BMT. Any, any remembrance of uh, what TW ordered? No. Uh, um, no. Uh, I, what might have been? You know, what I do remember also about that week was uh, the story goes that, that, you know, in Moline they had gambling boats on the river. And in the evening, that's where everybody went. I believe Tiger was 20 at the time. Yeah. And uh, he went in to sit down to play blackjack, as the story goes. And, you know, I believe at the time the Lion King had been out just previously, but it was still all the rage. And uh, he sat down to play, and the blackjack dealer, <laughs> you know, the, the – you know the gift of anonymity is that you could, you could or anonymity is that you could do those things. 
But uh, the blackjack dealer looked up and knew immediately Tiger. it was Tiger Woods and knew he wasn't 21. And uh, he looked up at him, and the story goes that he kind of gave him a funny look, and Tiger goes, I'm Tiger Woods. And the blackjack dealer goes, I don't care if you're the Lion King. You're not gambling unless you're 21 years of age. <laughs> oh, those were the days, huh? Yeah, if those only, were the days. Uh, when Tiger maybe thought he had enough anonymity to do that. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, changed. you know, uh, the complete loss of uh, one's anonymity is uh, – you know that's that's a burden that uh, not many people would uh, would like to have, but uh, but that's the price of having uh, uh, that sort of transformative talent. That's a package deal. That's part of it. Well, yes, uh, it is. well, Brandel Chambly, thank you very much for joining us, and thank you, Aaron Oberholzer, as well. This has been great to uh, do the deep dive on what it's like to be inside the ropes for one or Brandel, in your case, two times. Uh, with Tiger Woods. Don't forget to check out One Time with Tiger on GolfChannel.com to hear, hear from others who had that unique opportunity to play with arguably the greatest player of all time. Brandon, once again, thank you very much for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Oh, thank you, Will. Enjoyed it. All right. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches, but there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.